It is a great privilege for me uh, to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. I say it a great privilege, it always is, and yet I am perhaps more aware of it in these days of challenge and uh, people looking all kinds of places for hope and security. It is our privilege to come to God's Word and open it together and... um, Very, very thankful for that. Hebrews 2 is where we're going to be. Uh, A while ago, I'm thinking in the last year or two, I forget exactly, I read a story about a duck hunter who had a bad day. Um, He was out doing what duck hunters do, looking for, you know, Donald and Daffy, and his little boat got stuck in the mud, shallow water and so on, and he he, uh, realized he wasn't that far from land, so it is muddy, but he could walk the distance. So he climbed out of the boat, Unfortunately, he underestimated how deep the mud was. Because if you walk through mud, you can walk through mud if there's a foundation, can't you? We're familiar with that. But if the mud is, let's say, 20 feet deep, and you climb out of the boat and there's no bottom, then you die in the mud. You can walk through mud if there's a foundation, if you have your footing. And just thinking about the lack of foundation and the critical role always, and especially now, to hold on to hope that is in the Word of God. And it is is more than, I mean, it's providential that we are in Hebrews these days. I'm very thankful we're here, and I'm grateful that you are present as we open God's Word together. So uh, the notes in your bulletin will give you some sense of where we're going this morning. We continue a study through this book, paragraph by paragraph, whatever the preaching sections are. And we'll come to verses 5 through 9, our main text in Hebrews 2. But we will uh, we'll, we'll read the opening paragraph of that text as well. On your notes, I've given you some review comments. I always hope that you'll remember those things. If you're with us week to week, I'm confident you know those things, uh, what this book is about and where it came from, what, what has happened previous to this. But it's, it's my, my desire that we'll have some continuity. I want to pray for us that God will help us in his word, how deeply we need this today. So join me as we pray. Our Father, to open the word of God together and here meet with you, the living God, in the preaching of your word helped, enabled by the Spirit of God, this is a a tremendous privilege. And perhaps for each of us, we have some sense of need as we come today, certainly needing time with God's people and in the Word of God, but I, I think our need goes even greater than our awareness of it. And so, Father, I pray that as as the Scriptures are open before us and the Spirit of God does His work in each of us to speak truth to us and speak comfort and courage and hope and most of all to point us to Christ. Our Father, would you you be honored today uh, in this? And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's text, there's a paragraph here on your study notes that I would love to have you look at with me before we read Uh, that broader text, we're going to see some things today that I hope encourage you because we're going to look at some glimpses of eternity. Um, Often when we think about about the life that is after this one, we are are left with images from a cartoon artist perhaps of, you know, some shadowy figure on a cloud with a harp. Uh, And frankly, uh, not something that attracts. 
I mean, do you really want that? I mean, a cloud and a harp. I mean, that's it? For how long? I mean, five minutes later, uh, we're saying, okay, I'm kind of done with that. I mean, so, so what, what, what more, what glimpses do we get? There will be more. Not all the details we would like, but I think there are some other elements. And my statement here I'd like you to, to look at even as I read it. Uh, there is coming a day very different from today when redeemed men and women will rule and reign with Christ because of his victory. Now, that's a different view than a cloud and a harp, isn't it? Rule and reign with Christ? Rule what? Reign where? What does that look like? My goodness sakes, and what does today's text have to do with it? And of course, that's a a reminder to us to run the race until that great day. I capitalize it because the Bible talks about the day, the day, the day, day of the Lord, Old Testament and new, the great day. And I I, I'm captured by that every time I read it, until the day, the day, and I'm grateful it's coming. So I want to read, then, God's Word, and um, I, I am going to read chapter 2, 1 through 9, um, comments preceding that just a bit, and then to today's uh, specific argument as well. So Hebrews 2, then, God's Word as we read it. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor uh, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. A couple of things as we head toward verse 5, all right? We noted, of course, last week, the strong connection with everything that precedes. All of chapter 1 is an exposition of Christ, all of it. The majesty and glory of Christ, not one call in Hebrews 1 for you to do anything. That comes in chapter 2, verse 1, where there is a call. There's a call for you to pay attention to what you know, pay attention to what you heard, and not to drift, not to drift. You remember that was kind of our our main emphasis last week. So there is a call then, a therefore, based on all that proceeds. And then verse 3, that big question, again, that we addressed last week, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, that is a key phrase on which today's text is built. And I want to show you that, all right? I want to see that together. So when the writer asks, 
That question, how shall we escape? It is a question. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He is meaning something by great salvation beyond what might originally catch you. He's wanting to paint a bigger picture. Today's text makes that very clear because it's, there's a strong connection. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's got an expansive view of theology in mind uh, when he addresses that, and I, I want to see it. Now, as we read verse 5, which is kind of the intro to where we're going, uh, I, I want to pause for a minute to, to, to address a very important Bible study principle. I'm, I'm, I always like to do that as we preach. Uh, we're reading our Bibles, I, I trust, uh, throughout the week and other than right in this room. And so there are some things to remember. Sometimes as we read a text, we, we get reading along and we get caught by things we don't understand. And you go, man, that verse, this phrase, what, 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 do we, what do I do with this? This is confusing. I have no idea what this means. And I, you know what? I just don't understand the Bible. Okay, before you get captured by the things you don't get, uh, however long you study the Bible, there will be things you, you don't get, okay? Bible study principle, grab the things you can, you can see clearly. And you wrap your arms around those and hold on. So I want to do that with you from verse 5 before we start unraveling. There's some digging to be done today. There's some, uh, some grammar lessons for us to have. But before we do that, I want to grab an obvious from verse 5. State the obvious. It says, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. So before we talk about angels and, the, and, and, and when is this and uh, the uh, things of which we're speaking, I just want to say this. The Bible says there is a world to come. It says that. We're going to talk about it. There is a world to come. It was not to angels God subjected the world. What is, what, hold on. Oh, there's a world to come. And I pause on that because, listen, listen, people, this world is not it. This broken, disillusioned, pain-filled world is not the end. This, this world does not have final say. The problems here do not have final say. Death itself does not have final say. This is not the end here. Uh, we live in a, a world of great dichotomies. I know you know this. Meaning by that, there is great beauty all around us. There is. Uh, as the, as the, the seasons roll through, there is beauty and glory. The glory of God is displayed in what he has made. And we should see it. Every season that comes, there's beauty. It's a different beauty in the winter than in the spring, in the summer, in the fall. But there's beauty in what God has made. You look at plants and animals, and if you notice, one of the things that I love about walking with children, often when we have various children to our house, I love taking a walk. Because with children, instead of making a beeline, like an adult, we're here to, you know, it's cardio time. Let's go. Um, we're going. No, with a child, you, you're going slow. And you stop and you say, now, look at those flowers. Isn't that an amazing purple? Isn't that beautiful? God did that just for us today. And you wander a little bit and you stop and say, and a dandelion. What an amazing thing God did. When he gave us dandelions, <laughs> there's three. Okay, you don't ruin them when they're three. It's amazing. So, but you notice God's world. So this this world has beauty. And then as you grow older and you become more aware, and you become more aware of the brokenness too, don't you? 
And sometimes we lose the beauty. We don't see it as much as we're captured by the fallenness of the world. Well, I'm saying both of these are part of what God has made here. And there is a world to come where the brokenness of today will be no more. And you need to know that. You need to know that with both arms wrapped around it, big exclamation mark, all caps and bold. There is a world to come. And I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to take the time to, I'm just going to go quickly to 2 Peter 3. There are a number of texts that talk about this world to come. And I know we spent a lot of time in our theologizing, and I'm sure it's worthwhile charting things out and which world and when is this going to, I know, I know, I know, been there and had the discussion and read the books, I, I know. But, but to grab the big brush and just get the big brush strokes in, 2 Peter 3 talks about the day. The day, the day when, when things are made new. And you, you should read all of it, but I'm going to go only to chapter 3, verse 13, which is kind of a summary text. It says, according to his promise, Peter writes, we are waiting for, for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Some of your texts say the home of righteousness, a place where that which is broken is healed, where the things that are wrong are no more. And if you are, if you are captured today by things that are broken and wrong, it is good for you as a child of God to remember again, no, there's coming a day. There's coming a day where, where righteousness will rule, when things are are made right when, when the king rules right here. There's coming a day, and you hold on to that, and I, man, I, I, I find great hope in that. I find great hope in remembering that what is, what is today not right will not always be like that. Okay? You with me on this? There's a world to come. There's a world to come. Let's go back then to Hebrews, uh, and let's start to unravel. What, uh, there's, a, there's a paragraph here that's making a point and we need to unravel that together. So um, I go to my next little section there in your notes. Uh, my my uh, ESV, of course, starts, I think, as the Greek text is, well, for, so it's drawing a connection backward. It's giving a reason. For it was not to angels, it says. So, so the, the for, I want to suggest, is tied right back to verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Then there's an explanatory part. Second half of verse 3 and verse 4. How, do, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation for, I think that's the next logical movement, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we now speak. Really? So, so what is that connection? And then you notice the writer goes right into a quote, verses 6, 7, in the first part of verse 8. This is a quote from Psalm 8. And he's making a point about humanity, mankind. And he's quoting this section about the majesty, the majesty of mankind, of humanity. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? That's not, the son of man phrase is not a re- reference here to Christ. This is like a, a, a repetition about mankind. Uh, you made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So he, he draws on Psalm 8 to speak of the majesty with which God has created humanity. Now, I've mentioned in recent weeks Francis Schaeffer. 
Uh, He's got a little book called The Majesty of Man. And this is kind of what he's talking about, is is the majesty with which God created humans. Now, before we speak specifically to that, and I will, uh, if you look at your sermon notes here, I'm wanting, to, to, I'm wanting to, to draw a connection to that term great salvation. I'm saying it speaks of more than the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and you're trusting Christ, as important as that is. I believe he's speaking here of the future aspect of our salvation, our glorious future with Christ. I think that's the missing connection. I think that's the logical step. Let me explain this, okay? Quick, quick theology class. Um, Hebrews is full of great theology. So, so here you go. When the Bible speaks of the term salvation, okay, it often speaks in three different aspects. So if I had a whiteboard, I would, I guess I'd be going this way, but that's backwards. So I'm going this way. You'll have to just reverse it. Uh, all right. So the Bible talks about us uh, having been saved like past. I've trusted Christ as my savior. There's a present aspect to this. Trusted Christ now I'm saved. The Bible also uses the term saved to speak of a present aspect of salvation. So like I have been saved and I am being saved. And I'm going to add a couple more layers. If you can just visualize my chart. Okay. The Bible also speaks of a future aspect of salvation. We shall be saved. So I have been saved. I am being saved and I shall be saved. Now to add a couple more layers. In being saved today, I am saved from the penalty of sin because Christ died on the cross for my sin and I am in him, okay? The penalty of sin. Now I am being saved from the power of sin, its rule and reign in my life. So penalty, power, and in the future, when we're home with him, we'll be saved from the presence of sin, okay? So There's a past, a present aspect, and a future aspect. Sometimes these get confused and people say, well, it says I shall be saved, but I thought I was saved. I'm I'm worried. What if I'm not saved? Because it says we shall be saved. And I thought I am saved. Ah, this, this, that's the, that's what you need to be thinking. Past, present, future. I have been saved. I am being saved. We, and I shall be saved. And the cool words for that, justification, Declared righteous when we trust Christ as our Savior. Sanctification, I'm growing in Christ, becoming more like him, becoming more holy, becoming more like Jesus little by little. And glorification is the other cool word for that. The day that we're home with him in his his place. So past, present, future. And I'm saying this, when he says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? I believe he's speaking of more than just the past part. I think he's speaking of the whole thing, including the future, a glorious future that Christ has in mind for you beyond sitting on a cloud with the harp. Amen. Who wants to do that for very long at all? It does not capture my imagination. So past, present, future, I think that's all wrapped up in this. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I think he has an expansive view in mind. Um, I want to go to one, one text. There are numerous throughout the the New Testament in particular that speak of those three aspects. Uh, But I want to go just for a moment, uh, things I'd like to have you see, drawing just theological connections that I I, I think are good for us. A neglected text, um, Hebrew, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 2. I'll tell you why it's neglected. It's because it precedes some of the verses we race to that are so good. 
Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And right before that, there are some cool things that talk about today's topic. And we don't notice because we're all the way headed to by grace you've been saved through faith. Wonderful, rich text. We don't want to overlook others. So Ephesians 2 is talking about this process of coming to Christ, and it begins with our lostness before we know Christ as our Savior, the beginning of chapter 2. And then there's a turning point that talks about the work of God starting at verse 4. But I want to read uh, verse 4 through verse 7, okay? Hear, Hear God's word then. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us... He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And watch this. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. This is talking about your current position. But I thought it was right here. Well, yeah, yeah, here you are. But in a sense, because you were born again, you know Christ is your savior. There is a sense in which right now, my goodness sakes, uh, that's your future. That's where you're headed. You could, you could say, man, I'm going I'm to rule and reign with Christ. He's raised us up. I, Christ died on the cross. I died on the cross. Christ was raised from the dead. I was raised to newness of life. And my goodness, he, he sits in heaven's throne, and one day we will, we will join him there. So this is talking about us. And then verse 7, so that, you see this? So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then off you go, by grace, by grace you've been saved. Verse seven, though, fascinates me. That in the ages to come, it's going to take ages for him to show the immeasurable riches of his kindness, of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. The ages to come, it gives a hint of, of, of a future that's more than sitting on a cloud. He's going to show to his redeemed in his presence the, the immeasurable, without measure that is, the riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. So eternity, rather than being kind of a boring existence of you know, sitting there, uh, not that in the presence of God you'd be bored, but I, I, think, I think there are hints, as we'll see more of in a minute, um, that eternity, my goodness sakes, is far beyond what you'd think. Sometimes when we say goodbye to somebody we love, we, we, we try, may I say in vain, to capture all that is their reality now. We try. And I, 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 think, I think if you were to talk to anybody who's now in God's presence and say, hey, do you want to go hang out back with the crowd for a little while? I suspect their answer would be, are you kidding me? But they'd say it in a nicer way. Uh, I'm not going, go back, have a pizza? Oh, not a chance in the world. Look at the glory that is here. The amazing beauty of Christ. Leave for five minutes? Oh, no, no, no. Don't ask me to do that. Oh, man. If, if, If we would only see, we would not ask them to come back. The amazing riches of his grace and kindness toward us through Christ. Okay, let's go back to Hebrews then. I want to unravel this, this, this argument then a bit further that's taken place. Argument not in the nasty sense. There's a, there's a logical flow here, and we'll go there. So God did not create angels to rule, but humans. That's what verse 5 asserts, that God created humans 
to rule the world to come. Isn't that interesting? It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. And then he talks about the majesty of man from Psalm 8. And then he comes down to the second half of verse 8. And he says, now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Okay, we're going to do some work here. All right? So I'm going to go to one other text. I know you guys are in for it today. I know. I know, but we we get to do this. This It's helpful, I think, and connections you should have. So I'm going to go back to Genesis 1. The text is there written in your sermon notes because I believe that that, that Psalm 8 is based on the truth in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. I think Psalm 8 is based on this, okay? So in Genesis 1, story of creation... You come to verses 26 to 28, and you have the, the, the telling of God's intent in making humanity, making mankind, okay? And some people call this the cultural mandate. There's an interesting term you may come across if you're reading Christian worldview stuff, Nancy Piercy and uh, Chuck Colson and some of these others. You'll see the phrase, the cultural mandate, and this is what they're talking about. This, what we're describing now. So when God created heavens and the earth, created space, filled it, created space, filled it, created space, fills it. And then at the, 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 the crown of his creation, humanity, uh, he, he creates male and female, God's design, by the way, both uh, male and female, God's design. He was not messed up. He did not lose sight of what he was doing. He was without confusion when he did that. Uh, he created a man and a woman. Now, he's describing then why, the purpose so Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us make man, mankind here, in our image, image of God, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the, see this? Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Um, some have used the term vice regency, that humanity was created, as described here, to exercise dominion, uh, not, not, not in a, uh, a using way, but in a wise ruling way over creation. Okay, that was the intent, that humanity, male and female, would exercise dominion over God's created order. Now, this is Genesis 1. Anybody remember what happens in Genesis 3? Yeah, uh, yeah, it kind of goes south from there. Uh, The fall, that's when sin entered the world, and that which God intended begin to break and crumble, and so we have the world that we now have. There's some things, though, of course, from that perfect world pre-fall that continue today as God's idea on how things ought to be. So we don't just dismiss that and say, well, it's all over. No, 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 hold on, hold on. God's intent was that humanity would exercise benevolent leadership over his creation. Now, this, this does a couple of things, this text. And if you look at your notes here, I want to I just make a couple of comments here. So, so... Psalm 8, I'm saying, I'm going back to Hebrews as I flip my Bible back. 
Psalm 8 then reflects the truth of Genesis 1, 26 to 28. God created people, look at this line here, with inherent dignity and value, regardless of, and I just gave a partial list. There's a lot of other things to be added here. God created people with inherent dignity and value, regardless of their age, language, gender, skin color, country of origin, and I include, or their behavior and life choices. Okay? Christians of all people, please hear me, have reason to treat every human with dignity and respect. Christians of all people should know this. It it's, starts in the beginning of the Bible and goes all the way through. And it begins with made in the image of God. And I'm saying this, where, whatever that list is, regardless of all of those things, including their behavior and life choices, a person who has lived poorly still bears image of God, still should be treated with dignity and respect. Okay? So Christians should know this. We have not always done this well, but there is a biblical basis for the people of God to to know this. This is the foundation historically of what we would call human rights. It's the biblical foundation for sure. Human rights. Whence human rights? Who says humans have rights? Well... The word of God, because every human was made, image of God, image bearer, broken, marred, of course, got it. Image of God, nonetheless. So I, I think it's right and good that, that Christians would lead the way in treating people with respect and dignity. Um, I mentioned Francis Schaeffer's book, The Majesty of Man, indeed. Um, I, I, I mention here um, uh, in my next little bullet point, skipping ahead over a, a couple of lines, Uh, I am amazed at what humanity can do. Architects, I love going to cities. Sometimes we travel, I like to go to cities. And to to look at the things that humans can do. I look at buildings and I think, why is that standing? And it's because somebody knows advanced math. Far more than Jay. And they can build this thing and they know the tolerances. And some architect drafted that. And I'm amazed at what people can do. Humans. Humans. With the wisdom and creativity, God designed, whether they're redeemed or not. Image of God, image bearers of their creator. Now, I have in my sermon title today, Sovereign God and a Big Dose of Reality. It is, it is in verse 8, that second half, that I, I want to just grab the phrase, the big dose of reality. Uh, it doesn't say it in the text. I'm saying this is it, where the writer says, at present... We do not yet see everything in subjection to him. <laughs> well, we haven't defined the hymns yet, but let me tell you yet. Let me say this. Everything isn't in subjection. Everything isn't the way it ought to be. And we quickly look around and see, um, and we see that this world, the way it now operates, is not what God intended. That's the dose of reality. Is you look around, no, it's, it's a broken world. And I live in it too, along with you. And my heart is as grieved as yours at all the brokenness and sin and difficulty and struggles that are out there and in here and in here. All of us together affected by the ravages of sin. Uh, I know, I get it. Yes, I do. The sadness of a, of a broken world. That's the dose of reality. Now, I want to I want to look at some grammar things with you, please. Okay? So, so uh, Bible open. Take a careful look here. Think with me. So God is going to, verse 5, subject the world to come to, to humans, redeemed people. Uh, time and place and, and so on isn't specific to this text. God has subjected the world to come 
to these redeemed people. And then he talks about the majesty of man. What is man that you're mindful of him? There's a, there's a pronoun. Son of man, you care for him. Okay, these are referring to humanity. You made him for a little while, lower than the angels, crowned him. Yes, this is, these are humans created with glory and honor. Now, in putting everything in subjection to, to him, who's that? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you how I think this lays out. Okay, I, I think that, again, is a reference to humanity. In putting everything in subjection to him, that's the cultural mandate, that's Genesis 1, 26 and 28, that's why we looked at it. He left nothing outside his control. Okay, the first he, I think, is referring to God, who gave that cultural mandate to humanity. He left nothing outside his control. The his control, I think that his is humanity again. You tracking with me? Right? Come on now. Theology class, we're doing this. It matters. So when God did that cultural mandate thing back in Genesis, he put everything under, under the, the dominion of, of, of humans. Now, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to, to him, still humanity. Okay? Still talking about people. Now, verse 9. But we do see him. Who's this? And how do you know? Well, because you kept reading, didn't you? He, we see him who for a little while, uh, for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Oh, good. He defines the pronoun for you. That's how you know there's a shift in verse 9. I think prior to verse 9, there's a he that refers to God in his creating the world, and the other he's refer to humanity in what God intended. But there's a shift here, verse 9. But, but we do see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, that is Christ in his incarnation when he came down, Philippians 2, uh, he emptied himself of those rights and privileges of, of deity and came down, became God in the flesh. He was made lower than the angels, just like other humans, verses 6, 7, 8, namely Jesus. We see him now resurrected, crowned with glory and honor, which is a reference to verse 7, back to, to Psalm 8, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. And here's the, here's the, here's the conclusion of the argument. So that... By the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That is, Christ went first in tasting death. He came down. He took on our on humanity, and he went through death and then was raised to life so that you, as you trust Christ, you inherit this. You can correctly say, in a sense, when Christ died on the cross, I died with him. We are in him, and we was raised to newness of life. We, too, uh, benefit from this. Now, I reference on your study sheet, and I'm jumping ahead of myself into the section called the grand finale. Can hardly wait to get here, uh, but I'm, I'm having already commented on a couple of those things. Uh, Jesus said, John 14, 19, because I live, you shall live also. Uh, Christ is called the forerunner. Hebrews 6 and verse 20, Christ has gone ahead of us. And I think the big argument here is it was not to angels God subjected the world to come, of which we're now speaking. He intended redeemed people to do that. And Christ has gone before us. We are still, as a race, unredeemed. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies, Romans 8 says. Uh, But Christ has gone ahead through death into resurrection. He is now crowned with glory and honor as one day we shall be too. Now, 
If that was if that was a hard theological journey to take, I sympathize. I've given you a couple of verses here in summary, okay? Jesus fulfilled Psalm 8. I think that's the argument of this paragraph. And because we are in Christ, we will too. Daniel 7, 27, do you read things like this? The kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints, the saints of the most high? When is that? 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 3, we referenced this a couple weeks ago in our community group notes. Paul says in that text, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more the matters of this life? He's talking to Christians. You might quickly say, well, uh, judging angels? I haven't read that anywhere else in the Bible. The only place I've seen really clearly is that text, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 3. Quickly you say, but when are we going to judge angels? Me? You mean like Christians are going to judge angels? What are you talking about? How's that going to happen? Where? When? He doesn't tell you. He's making a point in 1 Corinthians 5, but there's a different vision of the future, I'm saying. Revelation 3.21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, Jesus says. Wow. How, how can that be? And then I give you a text from Revelation 5. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall, they shall reign on the earth. That doesn't sound like a cloud and a harp. They shall reign on the earth, this redeemed earth. Well, how is that going to be? And if you wonder about whom is Revelation 5, 10 speaking, you can look it up yourself, and it speaks of those redeemed out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's the context, Revelation 5. They shall reign on the earth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a future like, have you thought about this? Lord, what does it mean in the future to rule and reign with you? Rule and reign over what? Uh, how's that going to look? Well, I don't know all the answers to those things. But I know this. The writer to the Hebrews, please get this. He wants you to look ahead, to look to a a redeemed future because of Christ and find hope and find joy and begin to put your, your dreams there rather than here. Because if you put your dreams here, guess what? Yeah, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to come to the ruin of everything else around. Your dreams are here? Are you, are you kidding me? Child of God. Well, the scripture calls you to put your dreams there. I feel like this paragraph is, in a sense, just like, a, like they say, a teaser. Enough to say, wait, wait, rule and reign? Um, glory? Um, tell me more. It's enough to make you... Dream a little bit and say, but, but I want to learn more. What's that going to be? So I, I gave you here the summary on your notes, if you look there. It's the same sentence as before. There's coming a day very different from today where redeemed men and women will rule and reign with Christ because of his victory. So by his daily grace, we must run the race until that great day, knowing it is not over yet. Now, my... Final couple of thoughts, and I, I, I've mentioned the first one already. People often think of heaven as floating around in the clouds. I'm sorry that you would, ho- hopefully you don't think like that. But I, I want to comment on that final paragraph, a rule in driving, if you look at that with me for a moment. Um, if, you're, if you're a decent driver, you know this. 
If you've run into several things, you might still be a decent driver, but you might have violated this rule. Uh, when you are driving, you should, when you look at something, the more you look at something, more likely you are to hit it. This is true. This is true. It's a driving principle that if you stare at the ditch long enough, you just might go there. It's why people who are impaired often hit emergency vehicles. Did you know that? That's why. You'd think, all the lights, how'd they miss it? It's because they don't know this in their impaired state. They're seeing flashing lights. It's all they're looking at. And when you look at something long enough, you, you tend to steer toward it. That's why you hit them. Okay? So you, I, often I hear that. How could they miss a fire truck? Well, they, they didn't. They were staring at it. And you, you, you drive toward it. Um, this is true in all of your driving. You, 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 look, you look at where you want to go, and you're more likely to go there. Okay? You with me on this? I remember having this conversation with a young driver, uh, unnamed. Uh, we, were, we were making, a, it was those early days of driving, when, oh, no, you can do this. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, um, you're coming, coming home soon. Um, LAUGHTER we were coming, coming from North Seattle down. It was, a, it was a winter storm. It was pouring down rain, and I wanted that young driver to know you can do this. You can do this. Yes, you can. I have great confidence. I'm not going to touch the steering wheel. You're going to get us home. And it's pouring down rain. There's semis going by, the spray, the momentary panic when you can't see a thing. And what was I saying? Well, other than praying silently, I was also, I was also saying, look, look at the lane you want to stay in. Don't stare at the truck next to you. Don't look at the truck. Keep your eyes on the lane in front of you and drive there. You've got this. Hands on the steering wheel. Easy, easy. It's okay. Look where you want to go. Because if you do, it will capture your little brain and you're more likely to go there. Now, what happens today, this is not about driving, is we look at things and those things get bigger and bigger and they capture us, and we tend to steer toward them. Tracking with me? And sometimes we end up in the ditch because we stare too much at things that either are not true or not helpful, um, won't get you anywhere. And I am saying to us today, no, the point of Hebrews is to occupy yourself with Christ so that as you, as you study him in his glory and majesty and all that Christ is to you in present salvation, current salvation, future salvation, Christ and all that he is to you will get bigger and bigger and you will tend to go there and stay out of the ditch. Okay? Captured by Christ. A bigger picture of Christ. I, I close with this. Um, I may get a detail wrong. I forget because I was looking, trying to look it up this week. I couldn't find. Uh, there was a there was a quote that I remember from a pastor of old, um, who suffered a lot, decades. And I remember reading his story, thinking, "Brother, how did you do it? How did you ca- stay standing?" Um, um, he is the one who one of his quotes was when asked how he did it. He said to the questioner. My friend, we must not mind a little suffering for Jesus' sake. Man, I like that. And then he described uh, England going through the hedgerows, you know, those old hedgerows. 
He said, if when I'm going through the hedge row, if I get my head through, then the prickling on the rest of my body, I don't mind so much. And then he drew the conclusion as this text. Christ is our head. He has gone before us. Oh yes, prickling of thorns, I know. But if the head has gotten safely through, I know that the rest will surely make it through too. And man, profoundly drawing that same conclusion, Christ is our head. He has gone before. He has borne the suffering of death for us. And we too will follow him surely into that glory that awaits. I'd love to pray for us. want to ask God's care for the week ahead and pray that his truth, Christ, will capture us. Stand with me, would you please? Our Father, in this troubled world, we often are, are captured by the waves as Peter, when he was called out of the boat by Jesus. We get captured by the waves and we too take our eyes off the Savior and begin to sink and say, oh Lord, save me. Our Father, we look at the waves, we look at the distractions, they become bigger and bigger. We despair. These are hard days for so many. Father, I pray now, as always, that as God's people, we would be captured by the beauty and glory of Christ and all that Christ is to us and for us and will be to us in the ages to come. So capture our hearts and our imaginations by these things, our Father, that the troubles of this life, though real, things we must walk through, that they they lose a bit of their sting because we are bound for a different place. Father, I thank you that the day of shalom is coming, wholeness, wellness, all that you intended for us. Bless your people this week. Care for us. Give us hope. Give us courage. Give us a big picture of Jesus. This is our prayer today. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen.